One. And we are recording with Mr. David Stumpf. And I've had you on here for two of your books, I believe. You are the definitive source, in my opinion, on uh, ICBM, specifically in the American Arsenal. And um, I'll put the links to those books in the description. You leave nothing to the imagination. You cover <laughs> virtually, I mean, down to like the formation of the 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 set the acoustic cubes inside the missiles i mean truly it reads like a schematic and i love it um but i had sent you because towards the end of uh towards your end of the book uh the, i forget which what was the second book you and i covered was it the minutemen um you, been, yeah. you talked about um you talked about the sentinel which was the replacement i see and i had something i never thought about because i mean i know they do get replaced right i mean the titan too these things also, you you know, they last for so long that it's easy for you to kind of forget about them on like a fighter jet where they're always sexy, yeah. pushing new ones. Well, Titan II didn't get replaced. It got deactivated because well, yeah. they had a thousand Minutemen. Yeah. Minutemen's been around for 60 years and they decided the cost. They did a cost analysis and the cost of uh, service life extension or Miniman 3, yet again, was prohibitive. Plus, the system's wearing out. The, the original manufa- OEM manufacturers don't exist anymore or don't carry the tools and dies necessary to make the thing. So it's uh, cheap, maybe not cheaper, but better uh, to just get a new missile. So they haven't released much on, on Sentinel. The name was going to be Athena, and that got changed to a Sentinel. And somebody brought up the fact that Sentinel's been used before for weapon systems, and the Air Force said, so yeah. what? So, <laughs> so the, uh, the missile's going to be, they're going to use the same launch to uh, launch facility, the launch duck. Um, launch tube is actually the term used. Uh, but they're going to, I believe they're going to take this, the equipment room that surrounds the upper part of the launch tube and dismantle that. And they're going to put in a new equipment building. The buildings are going to be much larger and much more comfortable um, to do maintenance, et cetera. And then the launch control facilities, there'll be fewer launch control facilities. Instead of 10, one for each 10 missiles, There'll be somewhere, there'll be like eight or nine total. And that doesn't make much sense to me, but they're going to be much more luxurious. They'll be bigger, they'll be near the surface. Uh, because from what I understand, the accuracy of the Soviet and Chinese, well, Russian and Chinese missiles is such that bearing at 30 or 40 feet is not going to make a hell of a lot of difference. They're oh, still okay. going to be inside the crater. So. They're going to make it a little bit easier to um, to maintain and, and work on. But at one point, I thought it was going to be flushed to the surface. Um, but now I think it's going to be partially buried. So the important thing is Northrop Grumman took the time and the money, their own money, I believe, to uh, make an entire launch facility of Promontory Peak in Utah. They dug it out, they, they put it in. They're not going to rebuild the launch tubes, but they wanted a launch tube to the original specs so they could test fit equipment. So when they get to the, uh, the already in place launch tubes, they won't be finding that, whoops, that was an inch too long or an inch too short. Mm-hmm. 
So that's an expensive proposition, but to me, it shows Northrop Grumman's got their heads on solid. Yeah. But I'm just walking in and going, oops. Yeah. So the missile will be roughly the same as the Minuteman three in terms of size and shape. Um, performance, I'm not sure if they're going to be using the same propellants or not. I believe all of the, all the, uh, cases, stage one, two, and three cases will be fiber wound instead of metal. So that will allow much more um, range. And uh, I don't believe it's been decided whether it'll carry more than one warhead. Do you do you think, because if there, is it more of a, because that does make sense, right? I mean, these things are so old. You do have to, you know, there are such problems. Does, does the company exist anymore? Do the dyes exist anymore? Do the replacement pieces even exist? Or our ability to create them, is that even feasible? Do you think it's going to be, and that does make sense, to use more of like a, a woven sponge uh, uh, skin, less weight, you know, get more bang for your buck in terms of delivery uh, range. Do you think there's going to be anything, aside from that, it seems like it's it's, pretty much just going to be like a replacement do you think there's going to be any major up because you look at i don't know something like the f-22 or like the b-21 raider like they're, they're not just replacing right these are quantum leaps these are quantum leap jumping in so the only quantum leap that'll be with sentinel is the modularity they're going to make everything modular okay. much more modular so the guidance bay will have modules, and you want to replace the computer, you pull out a module. You don't pull out the whole. Right now, if you want to replace the guidance set, you've got to open the, the launch facility. You've got to unstage the missile, take the RV out. That's a whole process. Take the RV out, then you take the guidance system, replace it, then you put all this back. And now what they're going to do is make it so you come to the, the missile, to the side of the missile, you pull out. The uh, the guidance system, if you need to replace part of it and put back the module, that's going to make servicing and updating and keeping this um, active. For they're, they're anticipating a 50-year lifetime for it. Um, I think that's a number off the top of someone's head, but versus the 10-year life they expected for Minuteman 1, 2, and 3, um, this 50-year life means they're going to be Leading room, for example, in the launch facility, they'll leave plenty of twisted pairs so that if they change their mind on how they want to connect with the LCC, they'll have plenty of in-place wiring, Mm. or I should say fiber optics. Um, A lot of this is just in detail. They're going to use radio communication more than they do now. They're getting room for um, finding the lens, um, lens and whatever, the property rights for the um, towers. But it's all very, very um, fluid still. The design of the missile isn't fluid. That's getting ready to be launched. I believe they're going to launch the first um, test flight sometime in 2023. And the LCCs, the LF and the LCCs are just simply going to take a long time to put in. Instead of the many years it took for a thousand missiles, they'll only be building 450 only. So the, um, they, it's going to be slow. For, part of the problem is they need to be able to keep the missiles that they have on alert. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to take 50 missiles out at a time because that would severely limit what we've got. Now, 
one could argue if you have 350-minute uh, Sentinel Miniman 3s on, on alert versus 400, you're still going to blow the hell out of whatever you land them on. But, but logically, you want to take one off, building one, put it back on, two off. So here's the other dilemma is crew training. You've got crews that are doing Minuteman 3. They're the logical choice for crewing Sentinel. But what do you do? Pull the crews off of Minuteman 3 and start training them in Sentinel? That's a, that's a dilemma. You're going to have two different weapon systems, very different weapon systems to keep trained. You're going to cross-train them so a Minuteman 3 crew member could could uh, crew a, a Sentinel, or are you going to keep them separate? That's all. It's all a, a massive organizational um, issue, and they're working on it. They're not they're not shying away from it. They've got good people doing it. I've met some of them. They seem very confident and excited. But it's it's an enormous undertaking and quite expensive, as you might imagine. I guess that kind of makes sense to turn them more modular as opposed to like one almost almost like a unique casting where the whole thing is highly esoteric and and fills a niche as opposed to something like the B-52, right? B-52 has been running since, what, Korea? And we just, yeah. you just pull out so of the So what happened with Minuteman 1 wasn't, there's not a lot of modularity in Minuteman in Sentinel. The modularity comes at the guidance system because the, the uh, airframe, the stage one and stage two connections are fairly straightforward. There's interstage support and there's a safe arm and disarm switch, but there's not a whole lot inside. And they need to be able to get down between the missile and the launch tube with a work cage. That's all still going to, as I understand, it's still going to be there. So... So the modularity comes in the electronics and the and then the reentry vehicle gets put on place of that, on top of that. I think also the modularity issue is in the LCC where they can update computers more easily. And every five years, computers, well, in the past, is it every couple, 18 months, there's a new version. Yeah, of Moore's computer. Law, yeah. Yeah, so they need to be able to anticipate. They're anticipating that and making it such that instead of having to say, well, I wish we thought of that. There's plenty of room. Yeah. Yeah, that that that, that does make sense. Um, and I don't know if you know this, and even if you did know it, I don't even know if you'd be able to talk about it. Um, are they going to use the same warheads? They're going to use a Mark 21, so yes. It's going to be essentially the same warhead with some updated electronics, undoubtedly. But Mark 21 is a perfectly good reentry vehicle and, and uh, warhead. So there's no point in spending a lot of, in my opinion, there's no point in spending a lot of money in replacing it. I just the question is, is it going to carry three or four? If it's if it's a Mark Twenty One, I'm thinking they could carry three. I, I don't know how many they'll be able to carry, but there's there's a there was a treaty about MIRVs, multiply independently retargetable reentry vehicles. And that treaty has been abrogated by both sides, so they could go back to as many RVs as they want. But three per missile, 400 missiles in the hole. They have, we're going to build 450 uh, launch facilities. Not going to build, they're going to renovate 450 launch facilities. 
the current treaty says we can have 400 muscles in the, in the hole, 400 single uh, single RV missiles in the hole. And they've kept the 50, the extra 50 for maintenance. So because Miniman 3 was getting so old, they needed to maintain this, the uh, launch facilities, which meant if they had 400 launch facilities and 400 missiles, they'd have to take them off of alert to fix them. Now they can rotate a missile out of launch facility one to launch facility four and work on launch facility one. And when it gets fixed, they can put a missile back in it and go to launch facility six and work on it, et cetera. Hmm. That's called the warm silo um, compromise. What is it called? Warm silo. They gotcha. keep it, they keep they renovate a silo and they keep it not um there's nothing in it but they keep the air conditioning going and all that. So gotcha. if they need to put a missile in they can. Gotcha. Um yeah, just because you are the most knowledgeable source on this. Um, what was at the, I guess, at the height of the Cold War? What I didn't, I didn't know that there's a limitation on MIRVs. What was the most that they had ever put in them, both either us or the Soviets? Soviets, I'm not sure of. We put three, and the Minuteman threes had three per our, per missile. And at one point we had, and then the Minuteman two had one. So the Minuteman two, 450 Minuteman two at uh, one RV and three possible for the 550 Miniman three. Um, that's a lot of boom. Yeah. Then we had the, um, then they went down to uh, 500 Miniman three and 50 Peacekeeper and each Peacekeeper had 10 RVs on it. 10? Yeah. They were small because they're highly accurate. They could be smaller physically and yield wise. And still do the job. 150 kiloton weapon will still not make most people's day. Gee, I never knew that there was 10. That's insane. Yeah, the uh, submarine SLBMs also had a large number of RVs. Yeah, 150 kilotons will still ruin your weekend. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I mean, what, Hiroshima is 15, so you're right. still looking at 10 of those. Yeah. Um, what do you think? And this is more so wild speculation. Uh, do you think there's going to be an acceleration of this because of the current posturing with Russia? I don't know. I There's a part of me that thinks, and this is her, heretical for someone who writes books about nuclear weapons, but we have the submarines, we have the bombers, and we have the land-based missiles. I don't think we need all three of them. Frankly, the Navy still has the most survivable because until they make some way to make the ocean transparent, which they've been worried about all these years, the subs can still hide more effectively than the bombers can. Uh, bombers are susceptible to shock and blast waves from uh, an uh, air, air, a, uh, air defense nuclear weapon which is undoubtedly what the Soviets, the Russians would use, just put up a couple of kiloton weapon up in the face of the, the bombers coming in and they're going to be toast. So my uneducated opinion says we don't need all of these flavors. On the other hand, you never know what someone's going to come up with. And yeah. So it's good to have options. So the triads represents the options. Yeah. And I'm with you. It does seem like you'd really only need uh, submarines 
or just have so many silos and, you know, get them well, off before they're the destroyed. With the thousand silos, the the, um, the Achilles heel for Minuteman was the uh, the launch the um, launch control centers. There was one for every ten missiles, so that's thousand missiles. That's a hundred launch control centers. If you if you hit the launch control centers and destroyed them, you take out ten missiles of a pop. And so the question was, is that if that's possible, we need backup. So we have the bombers, we have the subs. We take out some of the subs, we have the land base. So it's yeah, no, I see what you're saying, and it's also like um like startup time. I mean, if someone, if we somehow intercept some research that they're doing and we find out that there was some breakthrough in Moscow and they know how to make the oceans transparent, you don't want to have to go, now it's time to build silos, right? Because that's, right. that's a 10-year, you want them up and running all kind of, right. again, it's more like the warm silo thing. It's like, okay, well, these are already up and running and now we'll pivot with our subs. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that makes sense. Another thing that the bomber guys would always say is the bombers can be recalled. The missiles can't. So that's still a sure that too. Yeah, that's still a, a factor. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just it's I don't know how if we sent the bombers out I'm, I, at this point where they would we be thinking of recalling them? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's... So there's a there's a land based, um, a little more survivable than the bombers. If the bombers are caught on the ground, we still have a land based. If the bombers make it into the air, we have the recallability. And if all that goes south, we have the the subs. Uh, but if the sub, if the ocean becomes transparent, then we have the land-based missiles and the bombers. So that, the triad still makes sense in many ways, but yeah. I just don't think we're going to nuke the crap out of Russia. Yeah. It wouldn't take many. I don't think we'd do that. Yeah. What Russia would do it to us? It is. There is something almost kind of comical about it and it's like the more you have these conversations and examine it and you come to these conclusions and then the current apparatus supports your current conclusion it dawns on you that oh it's almost like we spent 45 years trying to figure this out right you you go yeah yeah part of the part of the thought process with nuclear weapons that always surprised me was the cottage industry of, of academics that would say well, we need to calculate the single shot, what do they call it? Single shot kill probability. And if, if the missile, for instance, there's a percentage, let's say it's 90, 95% chance the missile is going to actually take off when you, when you hit the switch. Okay, and there's a 95% chance that it's going to complete its flight. And there's a 95% chance it's going to be on target. If you multiply 0.9 by mm-hmm. 0.9 by 0.9, it becomes a smaller number, mm-hmm. like in the 70s or something like that. And so all of a sudden, there was all this argument, well, we'll will we be able to destroy the silos? Will they make it? You don't need all of them to make it. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, clear that was, to me. That was you Curtis LeMay's logic, right? Yeah. You can bomb the hell out of something with just a, a few nuclear weapons going off the United If you targeted... Well, let's say in Europe, you targeted Paris, London, Munich, the major capital cities. That's what, maybe 10, 
10 missiles. You don't need to lay waste to the entire continent. Yeah. Likewise with, with Russia or China, take out a couple of big cities, that pretty well does the job. So, Well, it also does the job in guaranteeing that they're going to level you. Yeah. Well, that's that's the one thing nobody has a good defense with. Yeah. So. I guess that would bring up the like a fourth leg would be space based. Um I hope we don't get to that level. Space based is still yeah, I just Well sure, I don't know. So there's a lot of it. Put put them in orbit. There's enough crap orbiting the earth now. I think one of the problems would be keeping it keeping it intact. There's so much material out there. Yeah, I mean I'm I don't hope for it either, but I guess, you know, there's a difference between what I hope and what often happens. And it's, yeah. it's like biological weapons or chemical weapons. You don't want them, but once it's out there, you can't you can't bank on the other guy not researching them. So you kind of have to. I feel like that's probably the and I'm not for it. I'm with you. I'm not for it. But I feel like that's probably the end state is is space based nuclear weapons. Get rid of the entire time of flight or most of it. Just have it directly above. I mean, that's probably seems to be like the end game is to just oh, have that gone yeah. right over the other other nation. Well, you'd have to have it in a geosynchronous orbit to do that. So yeah. let's say they're orbiting and every 90 minutes they fly over the target. So is that faster than launching one that takes 30 minutes to get to the target? Well, unless you, this is, know. unless you make a ring. Well, and, yeah, then, then the ability to do that is, I think, and the expense. That just sure. doesn't make any sense to me. But sure. yeah, that's, or put them on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. You got to wonder if something would happen, if you would do something like Starlink. You know, would that be a cover for a preemptive nuclear attack? You know, put up there. Hey, it's a ring of satellites. How do you not know that they're not fractional bombardment uh, warheads? Yeah. Well, that's... I'm again. I'm not for it. I'm not a fan of any of this. But I'm just. I'm just. I'm just brainstorming. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's doable now with the technology we have. But mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to spend the. Well, I don't think the U.S. wants to spend the money to do that. Yeah. Because once you get them in orbit, if something goes wrong with them in orbit, what yeah. are you going to do? Go service no, with. Ain't no hiding that. With the dragon and whatever they call those. X thirty seven B maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, plus, there's also this sort of like weird. There's this weird caveat on like the other end of the on the, of the bell curve where it's like you don't need it all to work, right? If we only have seventy percent, seventy percent of a thousand megatons is going to do the job, right? Again, Curtis LeMay's whole thing: you can shoot down ninety nine percent of the bombers as long as a couple of them get through. Um, yeah. On the other I've side. Heard- that's Sorry. a very good point. And I think that's a point that is lost on a lot of people when they complain about the accuracy or the modern modernity of the system. I think um, I'm just going to do the math real quickly because now I'm curious. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Um, but on the other side of that bell curve, there's like an equal logic. And it's um, if you did want to take out the other enemy, you would have to take out 100% of them for them not to attack you. Because all they need is 0.1% of their forces to survive, and they can still irretrie- or irreversibly destroy your society. So there is right. 
it's the ultimate, yeah, it's the ultimate catch 22. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's right. It's about 73%. So three, 3.95% will give you about 72% at the end. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the bottom line remains, I hope to dear God in my lifetime, nothing happens. Because um, if, if if Putin does do something stupid with a tactical weapon, I don't think we're going to launch on, I hope we're not going to launch on him, but that part of the world will become pretty much featureless and useless uh, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I think about is in the in mutual assured destruction, you almost have to wonder like what, what happens in those moments where you have to respond. But if you respond, the whole world's dead versus if you don't respond and let them nuke you, at least they survive and humanity goes forward. There's almost a weird threshold of like, would we launch or better yet? I happen to think the, um, I don't know much about it, but in my gut feeling is people like Putin would push the button. Yeah. I don't think he gives a rat's ass. I don't think it. he gives a shit. Yeah. And and I think the same with the China. The current leaders would push the button without a, without a moment's hesitation. I think Biden, I think Biden would rightly, or Harris would rightly go, man, if we yeah. blow, this is we it. blow them to smithereens. So what do you do instead? You launch if someone launches on New York, you launch on Moscow, one one weapon. And yeah. if they launch on LA, you launch on whatever else the next city is. And that's how I'd see it happening, not a tit barrage for, of missiles. Tit for tat. It's almost like a like a meta game of chicken. It's not will you launch yeah. or not launch? It'll be you took out New York, Moscow's gone. Like, do you want to do it again? Yeah. And hopefully calmer heads would prevail, but I think you're right. I think that's how it would play out. But there's an interesting point to all this, which came up with something Trump said, apparently at one point to one of his, his generals. As I understand it, the order to launch comes from the president. He doesn't push any kind of magic button. He doesn't mm-hmm. turn any kind of magic key. But he says launch, or she says launch. Mm-hmm. That goes to the, uh, this is my interpretation, that goes to the powers that be in the Pentagon. And I think they have a little sit down. They go, is this is this person nutcase or is this legit? Yeah. And out of the blue, Biden said tomorrow, oh, I want to nuke China. Well, you'd you'd wonder, yeah, what had happened. Yeah. So instead, they have a little little bit of a filter that would keep that from happening. But they don't. The president doesn't turn the key for a good reason. Just that reason. They don't want somebody to go berserk and be able to turn the key. Well, um. In Garrett Graff's book, Raven Rock, all about continuity of government and nuclear bunkers and all that good stuff or bad stuff, he begins it talking about, um, uh, I don't remember who the Secretary of Defense was under Nixon, but Kissinger, apparently, Laird. I think so. Melvin Laird was one of them. Um, Nixon had, wasn't, no, McNamara was Kennedy. Um, well, McNamara was Kennedy, then Laird, then Pack, um, I think it was Packard. Might have been Not Packard. Packard was an assistant, but anyway, there was uh, some concern of him going, of Nixon going nutcakes. Kissinger actually had the nuclear foot, unbeknownst to Nixon, 
on Nixon's final flight home on Air Force One, where in midair it no longer was Air Force One, it became whatever SAM 2000 or whatever it's called. Nixon actually had the SecDef do like a covert order and keep the nuclear football off Air Force One because Kissinger had been hanging out with Nixon and he was like the last couple of days, they're like, Nixon, uh, Kissinger was like, Nixon's crying a lot. He's throwing back gin. And he's like, I do not need this guy going out with like, yeah. a, you know, boom. yeah. Yeah. So on one hand, I see the criticism of that. It's like, so do we actually elect the leader? But on the other hand, I'm kind of okay with another filter there. Yeah. I'd almost rather that. I'd almost rather some. You some mentioned generals. a book, Raven Rock. I've, I've heard a little bit about that. Oh, it's so good. I've interviewed him. He, that book is so is one of my favorite books. I think you would love it. Is he documented? It was all just speculation. On oh that. no, it's docu. I think it was the best selling. I think it was the best selling book on Audible in like 2019. It is wild. You, it, mm-hmm. I've I've had him on here for that. He has another book called "The uh, Last Plane of the Sky" or "Only Plane of the Sky" by 9/11. His book Raven Rock. I mean, I should get I should get royalties because I have plugged it so many times. I'm looking to get any copy. It's on it's yeah. on Audible if you want to look. That's what I did is I listened to it. It's great narrator. It is fantastic. It is. You'll either love it or hate it. Most some people well, listen to it and they're like, it's not for me. I love it. Well, if if it's if it's documented, well documented. Oh, it I'm, is. I'm, I'm interested in reading it, but if it's some guy saying. Well, I think this happened, or I was told this happened. No, no, no. It's 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 like your books. It's it is like your books, where it is. There's no. Well, I've got an opinion on. It's like according to you know memo number X from you know the you know H W Bush administration on article. You can go through. It is. It'll melt your brain, and it also. I don't know if it makes you like more or less. Uh, concerned because on one hand you're like, mutual assured destruction is they like no one can beat us and we can't beat them because we have such an extensive form of uh bunkers but then you start thinking you're like is that going to give somebody some false bravado do they start thinking we're going to survive this and then the title of the full book is raven rock the government's plan to save itself while the rest of us die so like some people are going to survive they'll survive they've got the mres and the water filtration systems and the radars like they're good you and I ain't good. Um, well, unless those are really well hidden, which I don't think they are anymore. One of the first targets in a, a nuclear exchange would be to take out that. Oh, yeah. So NORAD, could be Raven driving Rock. to Raven Rock and find out Raven Rock has disappeared. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what he goes into is um, is it's pretty much accepted. If you're the president, you're not going to survive. It's that's why they keep them staffed 24 seven. There's the backup and the backup and the backup and the backup. It's so they call it like the A team, which is like the existing administration. You're all toast. They do the whole designated survivor bullshit, but that kind of, that's just to make you feel better. Yeah. Uh, no, it's they, they, but they have the side, they have the, the bunkers where as soon as a launch is detected, they seal the doors. It's like, they don't, they're not waiting for a motorcade to get there with sirens on. You're dead. You're absolutely dead. If you're not all because then because then uh, uh, Garrett Kraft goes into the whole thing of like, well, and then there's like the instantaneous strike. And that's apparently what JFK was so worried about was a, an A-bomb being assembled in a city and then just yeah. detonated like that. There's no weight. So well, see, that's the other thing. The other thing, Tom, that's really I think people lose 
and I'm sorry I know about it because it's just that worries me more than anything else. If you let a weapon go off 50 miles above the center of the U.S., doesn't EMP. have to be a big one and make it an EMP. We're fucked. It's over. Every, everything's gone. It's over. Now, yeah. can you rebuild it? Sure. But for the the chaos, if you think a hurricane's bad, wait for the chaos of an EMP strike taking out all electronics, well, yeah. most of the electronics. And so you don't you don't need to you don't need to backpack a bomb into the uh, harbor in New York. Mm-mm. You just need to somehow get it at, at altitude in the center of the U.S. and launch a hundred. Doesn't matter if they catch ninety nine. Well, yeah. you, you, you could either that or well. So these are all speculation, but that's that's one that worries me the most is Iran lobs one in or, or Korea lobs one. You don't have to be accurate. It has to be somewhere in the center of the U.S. Yeah. yeah. 50 miles altitude. You're, you're at 45 miles. It's still going to be effective. Yeah. It's the great uh, equalizer. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, for for the NSA or something, Mr. Stump and I are just, we're speculating wildly. You know, you don't need to kick down our doors and shoot our dogs. That's, you don't need to do that. We're just talking here. Yeah. Um, we don't have access to this stuff. But, um, Yeah. And then that was actually part of uh, the Soviet war plan. I think it was declassified after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Was um, was like you didn't need to even use the the H uh, bomb to really destroy society as long as you had that EMP effect. Then that's when they would do the whole. Um, I've interviewed Dr. Ken Alabek, uh, the head of the Soviet Union's biopreparat, the bioweapons uh, program. He defected to the United States in 1992. And uh, helped out the CIA and Congress and all that good stuff. He's a really sweet guy. Now he's working on autism research. He's a total angel. But the whole plan was you don't even need to hit everything with an H-bomb. You got to knock out the power grid. And then you lob a couple of cruise missiles with Ebola, smallpox, whatever. And then there's no basic response. So something that you'd normally be, be able to contain yeah. now become right? It's like... um. You know, a little bacteria isn't going to ever hurt you. But if you're out in the middle of the wilderness and you get a cut on your shin and some dirt gets into it, if you were in a city, you just, you know, you go to the hospital or whatever. You just go to the doctor that gave you some antibiotics and you're, you know, you're back at work the next day. But that little, that same little cut in the middle of the wilderness might be the end of your life because it's sepsis. So their logic was, is we just got to knock out the power grid. And then these diseases that would normally be stamped out there's no way there's no basic hygiene there's no basic utilities then these would actually do 90 percent of the damage well you wouldn't even have to lob you wouldn't i think you you actually hit a nail on the head you wouldn't even need um as far as i'm concerned you wouldn't even need um biological warfare just take out the hospitals oh yeah just running water it that these play these things would start to arise naturally yeah yeah. Well, so that's about all I have to add. Um, got any other questions? Or well, I, I guess I, we made we made it a half an hour, so it's worth it. Yeah, I think I think this was a cheery episode. I think everybody will listen to this and sleep soundly tonight. That's a uh, that's what my podcasts with you do. Um, buy my book. Buy your books. I'll put your no, but seriously. Put your, I'll put your books in the description. There, there's a reason. Again, I don't have a boss. I only have on people I want to talk to. Your books are the most in-depth. I mean, aside from being terrifying and, 
you won't sleep well for weeks. They are fascinating. The amount of thought that was put into these things from like the tungsten and the nose cone to survive reentry. This stuff is wild. And it's and this is stuff's decades old, which just yeah. begs the question of like, what is there? I, I kind of think, and we'll wrap it up in a minute, but like, I wonder if there is, I wonder if they ever actually did, were capable of fleshing out Reagan's SDI. Is that why they're acting so belligerent now? Do they have a, do they have a, uh, do they have an ace up their sleeve that we don't know about? I don't mean, I mean, they, I mean the U S military, because they're not acting in a way that seems like they are looking at the threat of mutual assured destruction. They're acting in a way that says we've got, you know, a cheat card. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's hope they have it. Let's hope the Russians have it. And let's hope the Chinese have it. And Iran. Yes. Let's Iraq, give it to everybody and, and, and keep Pakistan this. Pakistan and India. And let's put a gun. Let's make sure we all have a revolver to each other's head. Because that, that's what's worked so far. And that's the only thing I see working for the foreseeable yeah. future. Because we are still angry chimps. We're walking up straight and we shit in toilets instead of the grass. But we are still angry, emotional creatures. <laughs> and these nukes are not good. But um, Mr. Stump, uh, yeah, we were able to pull that out 30 minutes. And uh, so I appreciate that. I will put the links to your books in the description. I highly, highly, highly recommend getting them. You can get them on Kindle. You can have your iPad or phone read them to you. They're one two-day listen. They're fantastic. You won't sleep well, but they are fascinating. So take from that what you will. Um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, Okay. Take care. Keep Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Mr. Stump, Mr. David Stump, God bless. God bless America, everybody. Stay